Yes, good morning everyone. Uh, the Bible reading this morning is Genesis chapter 4 on page 4 of the Church Bibles and it's verses 1 to 26, the entire chapter. Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad and Irad was the father of Mahuyael and Mahuyael was the father of Methuselah and Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubalcane, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubalcane's sister was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adar and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, uh, good morning, everyone. My name's Gordon. I'm the assistant minister here. We've been uh, doing a series in Genesis looking at the foundations of the Christian faith, who we are and who God is. And just to recap, uh, we first looked at uh, how God created the world. Uh, in Genesis 1, God created the world exactly how he wanted it to be. And he made humans, he made us to be his image bearers, to rule the world under his rule. And then last week we looked at Genesis 3, the, the fall, the infamous story of Adam and Eve eating the fruit that God told them not to eat. And we saw that sin was essentially, it was a rebellion against God. You know, we wanted to be God. We wanted to, to decide what was right and wrong without, you know, instead of God. That's the heart of sin, rejection, rebellion against God. Uh, and this understanding of sin and evil is something that I think is, is really at odds with uh, what our world thinks about morality and ethics, what, you know, right and wrong. See, a common objection to the Bible's teaching on this, and it's often directed to the church, to Christians, common objection is, well, is it really that bad? You know, is your Christian view of sin, is it, is it really that bad? You know, I mean, nobody got hurt. It's not like God really wanted to eat that particular fruit that Adam and Eve ate. It's not like they stole it from him. They ate his fruit. No one really got hurt in that incident. So what's the big deal, right? You know, why can't we just let people do what makes them happy and, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone? It's a very common view, isn't it? Uh, and I think this is the most common way in our world right now about, you know, thinking about right and wrong. You know, if it doesn't hurt anyone, then what's the big deal? What's wrong with that? And I want to raise this here because what Genesis 4 says, you know, what we just read, it really cuts against this. So we talked about last week, sin is a rebellion in our hearts against our Creator. And the Bible says this is very serious. And we'll see today that when you step away from God, when you leave the paths that He's marked out as the right way to live, as the good way to live, when you do that, you will eventually hurt others. And you will eventually even hurt yourself. Uh, this is really important to see, and it's really countercultural to our world. Uh, so let's pray that God will help us again listen to His Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, Your Word always corrects our thinking and our actions, and we pray particularly as we live in a culture that's confused ethically. We think we know what's right and wrong. Help us again, Lord, to, to listen to Your voice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so Genesis 4 actually begins on a positive note. Uh, so Adam and Eve, they have two sons. It's in verses 1 and 2. And, you know, despite their fall in the previous chapter, the human race continues. There's new life. Uh, notice what Eve says um, in verse 1. She says, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Uh, it's a gift of God. This is God's grace again. That's what Eve is acknowledging here. And remember the prophecy about the serpent crusher that we looked at in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, how God prophesied that uh, an offspring of Eve, someone born from Eve, would come and defeat the, the devil. Uh, so this is in the back of our minds as we read about these two children born to Eve. Will one of these be the, the serpent crusher? You know, that's the question that we have in our heads as readers. But as the story unfolds, we realize that actually what we're reading is a most horrific tragedy, isn't it? Brother killing brother, uh, cold-blooded murder. And this uh, storytelling of Cain killing Abel actually echoes the pattern that we saw last week in Genesis 3. It's the same pattern. This story has the same pattern. There's a, a longish sort of temptation bit, you can call it. There's a, then a brief moment of the actual sin and transgression. And then there's God's judgment. So let's walk through this 
uh, together. It would be good to keep your Bibles open. Uh, so verse 3. Uh, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn on his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. So both brothers, they bring an offering to God. God looks on favor with to Abel's offering, but not Cain's. You know, why? What's going on here? Is it because God likes meat and not vegetables? No, that's not the case. Um, it's not even because Cain's offering it re- resembles what the Israelites later would offer uh, in the Old Testament as, as sacrifices to God. You know, even those offerings that you read about in the Old Testament, they included, you know, grain offerings. So it's not just animals that were sacrificed in those days, but also grain. But what's going on here is that Abel brought the best. He offered the best to God. The firstborn of his flock, we're told. The firstborn was considered the most valuable, the most precious. But Cain just brought some of his normal produce. He just brought the ordinary. Abel brought the best. Cain brought the ordinary. Now, hang on a minute. Is this a bit, you know, is this fair for God to do that? You know, you might be asking, well, sure. You know, if my best friend, if my mate... Uh, invited me to come over and play FIFA. It's a game on PlayStation. If he did that and I decided maybe I should bring um, a snack, you know, to share, to enjoy that time. Imagine I went to 7-Eleven and instead of getting the top of the range chips, I got, you know, Smith's chips. Uh, Original flavor. Imagine I brought that to my friend's house and we got to play FIFA. Imagine if I brought that along. And he, imagine if he got really upset that I didn't bring, you know, kettle chips, but I bought Smith's chips. Imagine that. Of course, then that would be an overreaction, wouldn't it? That, you know, come on, man, that's, that's an overreaction. But this is, what we're talking about here is, this is not your best mate that you play FIFA with. This is God. This is the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, the universe, who rules, who's the king. You can't offer him Smith's chips you don't worship God on your own terms. You can't approach God on your own terms. You have to approach and worship Him on His terms. You know, what does it say about your heart before God if you only offer Him, you know, the leftovers of your life? What does it say about how you see God if you only give Him the parts of your life that are the leftovers, the parts that haven't been occupied by other things? That's why we say that worship is an all-of-life thing. It's not just the hour that you give on Sunday. This is God. This is the rule of the universe, your creator. See, Cain didn't think that God was worth you know, giving his best, the best of what he had. But Abel did. He did think that God was worth the best, giving the best of what he had. And God could see both their hearts. And so we read, Cain was angry and jealous at how he reacted. But notice as the story continues, notice how God speaks to him. God warns him just, about, just before he's about to commit the sin. Uh, Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to to have you, but you must rule over it. See, God speaks to, to Cain just as sin is tempting him. And God's word is always there when we're tempted. God's telling Cain here that he does have an opportunity to turn it around, to do what is right. He's giving him an opportunity to not give in to the sin. I find it really interesting how God describes sin in verse 7. You know, sin is crouching at your door. 
desires to have you, to rule you, but you must rule it. Uh, sin wants to rule the human heart. It wants to enslave you. Uh, we'll talk more about it later. It wants to rule the human heart. And so, uh, in verse 8, this horrific transgression. Uh, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they, they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This is cold-blooded murder, isn't it? You know, deceiving his brother into you know, maybe going out for a walk and then murdering him. It's all because of envy and anger. And in verse 9, God calls Cain, where is your brother Abel? Again, it sort of echoes chapter 3, right, of God calling Adam just after he had eaten the fruit. And there's a difference here, though. You know, rather than giving an excuse or blaming someone else, which is what Adam and Eve did, remember, Cain's response is on the next level. It's sarcastic. You know, am I my brother's keeper? There's no remorse here. There's no regret. And even after God punishes him, you know, he has to work, working the ground will be even harder, he'll be a wanderer, he'll be a nomad, there'll be nowhere for him to stay. Even after all that, Cain complains that his punishment is too much, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. This is an unrepentant sinner. This is a murderer with no remorse at all. But incredibly, God shows grace to him as well. You know, it says so much about God, doesn't it? You know, God gives Cain a mark. Uh, so that others won't avenge Abel by killing Cain. You know, what kind of mark is this? We're, we're not really told. Who are the others in the story? Again, we're not really told. We assume that Adam and Eve must have had you know, other children that we're not told about. But if we sort of step back for a minute and, and, and look at this pattern, you know, we see that Genesis 4, it mirrors the same pattern uh, as Genesis 3 last week. There's the temptation, then there's the, the sin or the transgression, and then there's God's judgment. You know, why has the author done this? Why, why is he copying the same pattern? I think it's to emphasize that this pattern of sin has definitely spread to the next generation of the human race. Sin has spread, just like Pippi's um, uh, spotlight. The same rebellion that Adam and Eve had, you know, in their hearts against God, it's now there in their own son, Cain, in his heart. But it's worse Sin hasn't just spread, it's intensified. You can't say that sin is just a harmless little deed anymore, you know, being a little bit naughty, eating the wrong piece of fruit. No, here is a cold-blooded murder, brother killing brother. It's the worst of evils, you can imagine. That same sin, the same heart of rebellion against God has just led to the worst of evils imaginable. I think this is supposed to shock us. It's supposed to shock us because this sin, it rules our own hearts too. You know, is this kind of evil, you know, is that, is it beyond us? Surely not, right? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. It's a scary thought to think of, isn't it? But the Bible says, don't think that this is beyond you too. Sin is so deceitful that it wants you to believe that, you know, you, you won't be able to do something as evil as this. Don't underestimate what your sinful heart can do. You know, if there was no justice system, no police force, you know, what would our world look like? Just imagine tomorrow morning you wake up, there's no justice system. All of that is not there, you know. You know, anyone can do what they want and get away with it. Imagine that. Would you want to go out of your house? Would you want to take the kids to school? Or maybe you're thinking, you know, what could I do? What could I get away with? See, when you rebel against God in your heart, when you don't want anything to do with him, 
when you depart from his good ways. When you do that, you're never far away from hurting someone. You're never far away from hurting others. See, God made us to live in peace and love with him and with each other. And when we say no to him, when we say no to that, when we take charge, we always will hurt others. We'll always damage not just the world that we live in, but each other as well, our relationships. And so uh, the aftermath of this story, uh, verses 16 onwards, Cain, he's cast out from God's presence and we're told about his descendants. Cain builds a city, he names it after his son Enoch. It's actually a bit of a defiant move against God. See, God's judgment was that Cain was to be a wanderer. You know, he just killed his brother. There's no jail system back then, so Cain can't be around with others. And yet, Cain builds a city to live with others. It's defiance against God's judgment. But what these verses show is also a story of human progress. You see, this is the first city that we're told of in the Bible. There's human progress. And Cain's descendants, they invent musical instruments, they invent metal tools, verses uh, 21-22. There's human progress. They prosper in culture, in industry. There's human progress. But parallel to that, Parallel to this thread of human progress is also the progress, the increase of human sin and evil. Sin increases alongside human progress. Uh, We see this in uh, Lamech, this guy in verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me. You know, if Cain is avenged seven times and Lamech 77 times, imagine just, you know, hearing that from your own husband. Imagine your husband coming home to boast about killing a young lad for hurting him. You know, sin hasn't just spread, it's intensified, it's gotten worse. Lamech is one-upping Cain. You know, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. You know, if anyone hurts me, I'll get them back even worse. That's his story. And sadly, that's the story of humanity. This is projecting what will be the story of us, the human race. Humans will prosper. There'll be progress in technology, culture, civilization, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, human evil, it will multiply, it will intensify. Violence, evil, conflict, murder, it will never leave us. You know, we're in 2022 now. We've got insane technology. We've got little bricks, you know, these things, made out of things that we've mined from the earth. They can... You know, tell us pictures of what our cousins are doing overseas, what they're eating on their holiday, you know, that kind of stuff. We've progressed so much, but we still have murder in our streets. We still have violence in our homes. We still have people with power and possessions bullying those who don't. Despite our progress, sin still rules the human, the human, right, the human, the human race, the human heart. It still rules our hearts. You know, Jesus says in John 8, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. That's what Jesus says. And this is the message of Genesis 4. Sin rules the human heart. It rules the human race. Our rebellion against God has has led us to doing evil, hurting each other, hurting the world that we live in. And yet again, there's a glimmer of hope And it comes at the very end. Uh, So verse 25. Um, A new son is born to Eve, Seth. There's a new line that now starts from Seth. I won't read the whole thing out, but 
the very last verse of this chapter, we get this. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. People began to cry out, to call out to God for help. People began to call out to God to bring about his promise, the promise of the serpent crusher, the one who will come and defeat the evil one. In other words, people began to pray. See, in the midst of the world filled with ever-increasing evil, in the, in the midst of the world filled with humans doing what they think is right in their own eyes, in the midst of that, people began to pray. People began to cry out to God, to call upon his name, to, to call on God for help, to call on God to remember his promises. That's what the phrase means, to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Gary Miller, who's the principal of Queensland Theological College, he says this, Prayer is designed for a world in which we hurt people and also we get hurt. You know, when we see the horror stories, you know, in the news of human violence and, and wickedness, cry out to God. Cry out to God. When you see someone in your own life as well, you know, continue to make the same mistakes, continue to mistreat others, pray for them. Cry out to God for them, to change their hearts. Of course, there might be something you need to say or do as well, but my point is don't forget to pray. When you're confronted also by your own sin, your own ability to, to hurt and to wrong others, cry out to God for help. Cry out to God for his mercy, for his forgiveness, that he might change your hearts too. Because the solution for human evil, it's not, it's not with us. It's with God. That's why we pray. But unlike those who call out to God here in the end of chapter 4, we cry out to God knowing that he's already sent the solution to human evil, and that's Jesus. See, unlike Lamech, who we read, you know, boasted about vengeance, seeking vengeance 77 times, Jesus taught his disciples to forgive 70 times 7 times, to always forgive, that's what he meant. Jesus repaid evil with good. Like Abel, Jesus too offered his very best to God, his Worship before God was perfect. And like Abel, Jesus was murdered out of jealousy, out of envy and anger. But through his blood, through his blood, we can be set free from slavery to sin. Amen.